mediator, better covenant. Better priest, better covenant. With that sort of idea in mind, let's look at the scripture. Let's read Hebrews chapter 8 and ask some time. Again, follow along with me. This is what the word of God says. At a point, and what we are saying is this we have such a high priest. One who is seated at the right hand of God in the majesty of the majesty of heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord said, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Yes, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were a speaking of Jesus, he would not be a priest at all. Since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. But this serve as a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better. Since it is tested on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with him when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers, on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into them. And write them on their hearts. I will be there. They shall be my people. And it shall not teach each one's neighbor and each one's brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins. Speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. And quickly, that's just not this. And that's not what you will be Father, this is your word. And we just stop and ask you to bless it. Father, we have blessed that you help us to understand these things. This Old Testament. Father, help us to see what you would have us to see. Spirit, testify of Christ. Raise him up at this time. We would love him more and more. Become more and more obedient to him and ask these things. In the best place in the right place. I'll offer you a man up here this morning. We don't always have a man up here, but I have one for you this morning. It's three parts. It connects what we looked at last week and the week prior to today, moving forward. This is the main idea. Because Christ is the superior priest, the covenant which he mediates is also superior to the 
inferior priests. The covenant which the Indians also superior to the point that the old covenant has become what we spent quite a bit of time looking at all the way back to the beginning of chapter 7 and even before, even in chapter 4, we work to understand this idea that Christ is the superior priest. Look what it says in verse 1. Now the point in what we are saying is this. Don't you like it? Scriptures are very clear to myself. This is what I'm trying to say. But this is what I have to say. And what does it say? We have sex at my priest. Words such as we This is a present reality. I want you to think about that, brother, not Christian. You have. I won't say you just have to say that. But you know what I'm saying. You have a priest. So if I have anxiety, you have a priest. If I have guilt, and what do we know about this priest? What sort of priest is he? What such a priest is he? If you go back to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, you turn back one page here, and here you just listen. Hebrews 4, 14 and 15. Since then, we have a great high priest. What sort of priest is he? He's the sort that passed through the heavens. He wasn't the sort that would just stay here on earth. That wasn't really able to accomplish anything. But he defeated death itself. He took his sacrifice straight to heaven, entering into the presence of God, having atoned for our sins and exchanged his righteousness to us. That's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Does he really know what it's like to be human and struggle with these sorts of things that we do? Yes, absolutely. Verse 15 says, We do not have a high priest unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted like you have been tempted. Yes, we sort of priest to me that the concept passed through the heavens into the presence of God. We should hold a fast our confession because of that. We don't have a priest who can't sympathize with us. He can't, and yet he's still without sin. Keep reading that in verse 1 of the beginning of chapter. What sort of priest do we have? One who is seated the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. He's seated. We've already looked at this idea of Jesus, the Lord, being seated. What does that mean? Priests that came before the Lord Christ. They went into the tabernacle to execute their work as a priest. They never sinned. Why? Well, one reason. They were never that comfortable. It's hard 
be so comfortable when you're not comfortable. What do we do when we're not comfortable? We like to face. We at least like to stand. And we walk back and forth. But even greater than that, they never sat down because their work was never completed. Their work was never finished. What sort of priest do we have? What sort of priest do we have? We have a sort of priest that right now is seated. What's that? He's not nervous. The right man with the majesty on the high is Well, 
priests, they needed the old covenant, the little part of the covenant, which only foreshadowed the new covenant. If Jesus really is the better priest, the superior priest of all time, then it follows that not only, number one, would Jesus be the superior priest, but that number two, Christ's covenant would be the superior covenant. And that's what the remainder of the verses that we'll look at this morning are, are telling us that Jesus mediates a better a superior covenant. Maybe you're asking this morning what my definition of covenant is. I'm sure you can tell if you like to know what it is. It's not a thing that we use all the time, but it is an idea that we practice all the time. Here's what a covenant is. It'll be on the screen for you if you're taking notes and want to jot down. A covenant is a legal agreement between two parties who make binding promises to each other and work together to realize that covenant is. Legal agreement between two parties to make binding promises to each other and work together to realize a designated covenant. English word testament. You can open the scriptures up to, to Matthew, the page before probably in your passage would say New Testament. Matthew, all the way to Revelation, comprises this New Testament or this New Covenant. Yes, all the way to Malachi. Basically, comprises what we know of the Old Covenant. The Old Testament. In the book of Hebrews, it, it means agreement, contract, which fits. Speaking of covenant. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the Old Covenant. He mediates his better. It is acted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for its second. What we can understand here is a few verses that we have. We have more than one covenant. We have a new covenant. We have an old covenant. The, the first covenant is the one that God made with Israel when they were exiting Egypt. You remember the story. He spread them out of prison, so to speak. There were slaves there in Egypt. He leads them to Mount Sinai. They're at the base of Mount Sinai. Synthesize and sort this story out. God gives the law. He gives the covenant to the people. And he asks them to agree to his terms. Those terms are if they will obey him. If they will keep this covenant with him, then he will bless them in all the ways that he promised their forefather Abraham. He would be their God. They would be his people. They would dwell in the land. They would be as the sands of the sea. They would flourish. They would live in the land and in houses and eat and vineyards and farms that they didn't plant. That was a promise to them. Two covenants. But that first covenant is being replaced. It's the old covenant. Why is it being replaced? Well, the scriptures say because it was faulty. It was faulty. There's a couple senses in which it was faulty. The, the initial sense is that the people were unable 
to accomplish what they said they would accomplish in that time. They were not able to do it. I mean, the car is faulty. No, it's a lie. And that God didn't intend to, that what God intended to do wasn't actually accomplished. We can really see the bigger picture. But even their inability to fulfill that really served as a schoolmaster. So that they needed something bigger, a better, a much more superior covenant in the future. And I love what we see. Exodus 19, verses 7 through 8. So Moses came, called the elders of the people, and set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him. Moses receives the law from God, and he says, Hey, God, God wants to play, let's make a deal. This is what he wants to offer you. This is what he's promising you. Do you agree to this? What does verse 8 say? All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. But what we see here in Hebrews 8, particularly verse 8, what we see in all of the Old Testament, from the prophets, the poetry, everything in between, we see that they were unable to. For he is speaking of God, thinking back to this covenant, speaking of the covenant that he made with them first there in Exodus, finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I have made with their fathers on that day when I took them by the hand and bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. They thought they could keep the promises. They thought they could keep the law. Surely God would keep his end if they would keep theirs, and yet they were unable to do so. He was promised to them. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to that? I know that I can. Even aside from scripture, what God demands of me, me wanting, even in some part, to obey that and to keep those laws and God's expectations and commands for me. And yet I can tell you right now, I am unable on my own to ever satisfy the demands of God's law. I'm unable to. And there's not a lot of us here today. Whether we're honest or not, they can say they can. Each of us, and Jesus made it very clear, used the law to help us to see that even if we had committed adultery, we each of us still done it in our minds and in our hearts. Each of us have lied. Each of us have had some other God before the one true God. Whether we bow to an idol or not, we still have place next to We've disrespected his name. We've bore false witness. We have coveted. We've broken every single one of these commands, whether obviously and externally or even just in the moment. 
moving forward. New year, new me. So it's a Your head, it doesn't help much. 
even in the case of today, they're still doing that. The tribe, I said, I'm going to actually do what you want to do. I want you to see that. Who is doing the action? Is it they? This is the promise that I would make with the house of Israel in those days, declares the Lord. God himself will put actively, we receive it passively, it happens to us. He will put his law into our minds. Paul says that in the Christian life. 
things that he doesn't want, he ends up doing the things that he does want, he can't do. Thank you. 
in that old covenant, you have these laws that sort of created the word of God, the laws of God created a peculiar people, each with families, neighbors, and the aliens that would even move in from outside and foreigners, and they would submit to the laws of God too, to a degree. What would take place in those situations? Right after fire, what would happen? Well, 20 years later, you've got a bunch of kids running around. They didn't know the law. They weren't there. They didn't see the mountains and shake and the smoke and all that. They didn't hear that voice of God. And so what would need to happen? Well, they would need to be conformed to this external law. They would need to be conveyed to them. And so that's what would take place. And it's not a bad thing, but we see that in Deuteronomy 6. It's commanded you to teach your kids. You've got to teach them the law. Why? Because if you don't, there just be one generation before this people have totally forsaken God and lost the promises of the Thank you. 
point. There was no true atonement. We looked at that last week. Under the old covenant, there's literally no blood of a bull or goat that actually cover your sins. And make you right with God, allowing you to welcome, be welcomed into the very presence of God because the bottom of the old covenant kept is a sickness on the And not the greatest of all time. Something only as good as the one who signed it. What do we see? What name do we see written at the bottom of this new covenant? Keep going your person. And so the child with that brand new leather wallet looks like it's 
never used it and has no money. Maybe a few old uh, gift cards that only have ten dollars. They take that piece of paper, they fold it up, and they stick it in the wallet. Doubles the wallet size, and they wait for the real price. Well, the first one says, hey, you're realizing this is coming. It's on its way. And you can look forward into the future by faith because of this great fear and this great state. You, you're optimizing the second of your way. But until then, keep this temporary license. But when you get the permit you want, what can you do with that temporary one? You can sell it to the second one because it's become obsolete. The promise that it made has now been fulfilled. You no longer than need to hang on to it. That's the point of verse 13. It's a new covenant. You don't need the old covenant. The new covenant comes along and it makes the first covenant obsolete. And what has become obsolete is growing old and it's getting ready to finish. But what? It's so interesting. Did you know when this book was written? Point in history, Jesus, the true, the great high priest, had already come. He had already made his one sacrifice. He was already now in the heavens, seated at the right hand of the Father. And his pastor said, Hey, you may confuse me. That one sacrifice that Jesus made on your behalf is only pictured in those temple sacrifices. Wouldn't it be good to go back? Wouldn't it be good to stand on both sides here? Both the new covenant sacrifice of mediator and old covenant building sacrifice. You have no need for the old covenant. You have no need for the old temporary covenant. Placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither are 
fathers nor we have been able to do. He said, why in the world would you still force these Gentile believers that are just now coming to faith in Christ who have themselves been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus? They've received the law on their minds, the law on their hearts. Their sins have been forgiven. Why are you causing them? Why are you putting this yoke on them? Submit again to the Old Testament, the Old Law. He says, we could have given them. And they would have been Why are you making them do that? Why are you making them do that? He says, we, Jews, the Christians, he says, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they did. Not by the blood of bulls and goats, not by the work of circumcision or observing feasts. He said, we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they did. Why would they require new converts to the great world to come that way? Not long after this, the temple Sacrifice of us 2,000 years. It's exactly what was prophesied. It's speaking of the new covenant. He makes the first one obsolete. It's not necessary anymore. And what is becoming obsolete is growing old. How did the temple really grow old? Seriously. It will be there for all time. And that's the second thing. It literally is It's torn down. In a way that no first century Jew would have ever seen a second from passages like this. That is by that point, it was getting ready to fail. Why in the world would the child submit one to this old testament? It's really what the book of Galatians is all about. The book of Galatians is about a group of people who heard the gospel. God gave them the law that's written on their hearts and on their minds. Their sins have been forgiven by the blood of Christ. And then the Judaizers showed up. And they said, hey, you're doing great. You believe in Jesus, but let me give some special things to you. In addition to what Jesus has done, I'll give you to do a few more things. Here's the other thing. Practice these festivals and these moons and all these other laws. Paul gets wind of it and says, I'm kidding. Chapter 3, he says, do you not realize who relies on the words of the law are under a curse. He says, for it's written, curse be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. He's saying, if you start to follow the law of God in the hopes that you will be forgiven, that, that you'll be saved, he said, you're actually under a curse. It's heavy language. Galatians chapter 3, verse 21. Tells us that the law had been given that could impart life and righteousness would certainly have come by the law, but none of us are made righteous by obedience to the law. If you're going to be made righteous, you will be made righteous by Jesus' obedience to the law. Tabernacle of the temple, remember it pictured the, the dwelling place of God being with Only the high priest is able to enter in that go in, make a sacrifice, and come back up, only to come back in and be like a holy of sins. 
beautiful and the world, the political law, big picture of God making a way for his creation for his son to return to fellowship with him. That first Adam and Eve's Adam, the garden of Adam. Moses and Levi, they pictured a picture of returning back into God's presence, but they weren't able to do so. But Jesus finally and officially fully in the new covenant actually leads us back to the presence of God. The new covenant. It's taken up in later centuries by two different groups. Really, it's only mentioned in the Old Testament one time. The new covenant. In the first century, a few groups that began to claim that they are the whole of God. The first one was uh, the, the sectarians of the King Rome. He would be their God, 